is the HBO Boxing Podcast. I am HBO Boxing Insider Eric Raskin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, fellow HBO Boxing Insider Karen Mulvaney, and we're here to do a post-fight pod, and I'll just be honest, off the top, it wasn't a thrilling card. These weren't the most competitive fights, but early in the seventh round of the opening fight between Moradjan Akhmadaliev and Isaac Zarate, Roy Jones dropped the word toolbox and assessed how full Akhmadeliev's toolbox was, and that's all I needed. The night was a win for boxing fans on the basis of those five seconds of commentary alone. I'm sure you'd agree, Kieran. Yep, the only thing that was missing was me in the background going, right, 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 right. <laughs> I, was, I was picturing you on your couch doing that, though, uh, you know, not into a microphone, but still doing it. Yeah, right. I do that generally anyway, <laughs> okay. whether I'm watching TV, whether I'm not. So it's a little it's a little tick of mine. But there right. you go. Yeah. So that Saturday night, uh, HBO World Championship Boxing uh, from Atlantic City. And for the second time in a row, we saw Dmitry Bivol fight at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino on the boardwalk there in Atlantic City for the second time in a row. He took on a former Sergei Kovalev opponent. And for the second time in a row, he was taking the distance. He scored a clear, comfortable if, as Eric said, not entirely scintillating unanimous decision win over former lineal world light heavyweight champ Jean Pascal. And in the co-main, as Eric also mentioned, we caught our first glimpse on HBO of the now 5-0 former Olympian Murajan Akhmadaliev, who scored a ninth round stoppage of tough and game. Those two always have to go together. <laughs> they do. <laughs> it's, it's mandatory. Right. Actually. You can't be tough in that game or game and not tough. Exactly. Um, Isaac Zarate, uh, we will talk about that co-main shortly, but Eric, uh, Bivol was the star of the show. He was the headliner for the first time. How do we think he did? Bit of a mixed bag. Uh, you know, we had Bivol barely losing a round again, uh, but going the full 12 again. Uh, the crowd that they drew in Atlantic City was not great. 3,853 was the announced uh, paid attendance. There were some scattered boos for Bivol by the end. If the goal was to continue to build Bivol into a star, both in Atlantic City and for the boxing fans watching at home, while getting a former champ's name on his record, what do you think, Kieran? Was this night more a success or a failure? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess not for the first time. Certainly the second in a row. One could almost argue for the third time in a row. We've sort of come out of a Bivol fight, haven't we? A little bit uncertain whether the glass is half empty or half full. Half full. Um mm -hmm. I mean, so last time out at the same arena, he won clearly against a cagey veteran former world title challenger. It was a little bit underwhelming, but he could be forgiven uh, last time around because there was a huge difference in professional experience. And Isaac Chalemba, who he beat last time, was renowned for being tough to look good against. Um, but this one felt a little bit different to me, um, partly because it was the second time in a row that he's been taken 12 rounds. Um, and also because it's the second time in a row that he rarely, if ever, really looked like ending it inside the distance. Um, you mentioned the crowd, and the crowd just felt subdued all the way through. Um, you know, we talked last week, and you asked how much harder it would be for Bivol to gain real traction with fans without having the opportunity to take on Sergei Kovalev. And, and Bivol taking on Sergei Kovalev had initially been the plan for Saturday night, of course, as we discussed. And right. And you could make the case that Saturday night showed just how much harder it may indeed prove to be. Uh, the crowd just didn't seem excited to see uh, Bivol face Pascal. They didn't seem excited to watch the fight unfold against Pascal the way it did. Um, I think Bivol may be in danger of losing a tiny little bit of momentum now, even though for the last three fights he's faced off against really good, really experienced opposition. Um, I, if there's a glass half full scenario to be had here, 
There's a case to be made, and I think I might have used this comparison before, perhaps after his last fight, that he might be in a somewhat similar spot to the one that Alexander Usyk found himself in a few fights ago. You know, after knocking over opponents early on, then he took a step up in opposition and he was forced to use his boxing skills and looked a little bit less spectacular and some of the sheen came off him. But then he sort of used that experience to step up another level and and look at look at him now. And maybe, you know, that's where Bivol is going to prove to be that he's just going. He's plateauing as he moves up a level. And yet as he moves up yet another level. Um, he'll, you know, he'll take it up a notch. Max talked about that last night, that maybe he just needs to be up against a really good guy to look really good. Um, the problem that we have at the moment with Bivol is that he doesn't have that compelling charisma, which we also talked about last week. Yep. Um, there's something a little bit missing. He's, he's very, very good. He's very skilled. Um, but you almost wonder if he's going to turn out to be one of those guys who's going to be more appreciated than loved. Yeah. Um, Right. Or or we might just be seeing the actual consequence of a young man learning his trade against tough and experienced opposition. Um, I'm not sure, but I do think <laughs> there's no real question that 2018 didn't quite end the way that main events like would have liked it to have done right. for either of their main light heavyweights. Right. Um, the, the Usyk comparison, unless I'm sort of forgetting something, I, Usyk never put together two in a row that left us feeling. Yeah, this that way. might be right. And uh, so, if I'm correct about that, that that would be a significant difference here. And, and the fact that it was the second of this type of fight, mm. this type of result in a row, is why I think I lean more toward the night being a bit more of a failure than a success, uh, despite mm. uh, Bivol getting the win. And, and I, you know, a win is a win is a win. Uh, and you know, in the big picture, when his career is over. I can't imagine people looking back at this fight as any kind of a negative that that hurt his legacy or anything like that. But just in the moment, coming off a dull, methodical, drama-free points win over Chalemba, I really felt like he needed something different here. So two dull, methodical, drama-free points wins in a row is a problem. Not, Not a devastating problem, but a problem just the same. You know, two fights ago... I would have had Bivol on my short list of must-see up-and-comers. And and, and so I was pumped for the Chalemba fight, even though I figured it was a mismatch. I was pumped just to see Bivol in action. Now I'm not feeling so pumped anymore. Mm. Um, And he fought well. I only gave Pascal one round. Bivol was perfectly dominant, uh, and he tried to get Pascal out of there. It's not like he was just coasting. Yep. Uh, But Bivol is no longer at that point where if he's fighting... I'm telling all my friends, hey, tune in, watch this guy. He's something special. He needs to do something to recapture the momentum because as an attraction, I feel he's lost the momentum. Yeah. Yep. So so let's zoom in on Bivol's inability to end this fight inside the distance. We know Pascal is tough to knock out. Only Sergey Kovalev has done it. Was this more about Pascal being a great veteran survival artist or Bivol just not being an exceptional puncher. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of an odd fight, really. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I picked Bivol to stop Pascal when we did our predictions was because I really thought that Pascal would would open up a little bit, would give him those opportunities, because I really thought that he'd, you know, really want to try to do something. And and, and it was just the way that Pascal fought was very strange. Um, he was just there. And then suddenly he would have these very strange swarming attacks that you would never imagine this guy used to be the champion of the world. Um, it was all, so that was all a bit odd. Um, and it wasn't like Bivol, like you said, it wasn't like he didn't try to get him out of there. Uh, he was throwing good power punches. He was mixing them up nicely. Um, I think, you know, if you dropped in at the fight at like two or three different occasions, you'd probably see the same thing. You know, 
Bivol coming forward, throwing nice combinations, hard combinations, and you think, oh, this looks like this guy's about to get the other guy out of there, and he just kept going. I, I, I wonder if part of the problem, a little bit right now with Dimitri Bivol, is that he, he doesn't seem to have an extra gear, another plan, a different look. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't have anything to surprise Jean Pascal, because, you know, and Pascal's a guy who's been there and seen it and done it. And he kind of, Pascal knew everything that Bivol was going to do. Sometimes Bivol, it seems to me, can get in a track and then he just stays in that track. Um, and maybe that's because he and his corner figure, hey, it's working. We're winning really easily against this tough veteran guy. Why change anything? Um, I, I don't, I refuse to believe that Bivol hasn't, doesn't have a punch. I mean, I, we've seen the effects of his punch. I mean, obviously he's flattened lesser opposition. He did eventually stop Sullivan Barrera, which Andre Ward couldn't do. Um, right. I just wonder if it's that he... He's lacking that spark, that imagination or that inclination to find a different way to deliver that punch, a new angle, a new speed. You know, like we, we would say often with Gennady Golovkin when he was at his peak, what's the weirdo punch that he's going to find in this fight? You know, whether it's the arcing thing on punch on the top of the head or whether this, he would always find something. Mm -hmm. and, and then when he found it, he would zero in on it until it got the guy out of there. You don't get a sense that Bivol does that he just keeps coming keeps throwing throws very nice punches throws very good combinations but sometimes you just got to have that spark to surprise a guy especially when you're up against the veteran and i think that might be what he's missing i would agree with all of that i think that's a that's a good observation but i also i, I would disagree um with you not doubting his punch i, I am starting mm. to, to mm. doubt it um mm. that it questioning whether he has those naturally heavy hands. The mm. Barrera knockout is a good point. He, d he did get him, and Barrera is not easy to knock out. But I also think we got a little fooled by how quickly and easily he dispatched Trent Broadhurst. That could um, very well be you know, true. Which was a case yep. of it was Trent Broadhurst. It, it yep. didn't mean as much as maybe it, it looked like. Um, to be fair, though, many lesser punchers than Bivol, who, who, you know, my assessment of him now is probably that he's somewhere between an average and slightly above average puncher, somewhere in that mm. in that range. Many lesser punchers than him have become elite pound for pounders and big stars. Um, Floyd Mayweather is the obvious one, although his talent and his marketability were both kind of hard to to repeat. Um, but, you know, like. Vasily Lomachenko, like Winky Wright, like Pernell Whitaker, like Joe Calzaghe, like Timothy Bradley. You know, Bivol can climb pound for pound lists or get into the Hall of Fame with average-ish power. Um, but he, he needs to find some other way to be dynamic if indeed he is not going to display those heavy hands again. Um, one way to be dynamic is to be tested and prove mm. your worth in the face of adversity. Uh, a tough fight is a dramatic fight. I feel it's time to put Bivol in with a guy experts will give a real chance to win. And there are plenty of them at 175 pounds. Baturbiev, uh, Stevenson, Gvozdik, Jack, Alvarez, Kovalev. I'll be blunt. I don't want to see him in next with anyone outside that list. Do you feel the same way, Kieran? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, who all else is there really for him to fight now outside of that group? And what would be the point? Um, right. He's gone through now that tough, cagey, hard-to-beat veteran stage of his career that, that everyone sort of needs to have as they build as they build up. Um, and he's he's emerged from that undefeated. Um, he's beaten the guys that the previous champions have beaten, that Hopkins has 
beat, that Kovalev beat, that Ward beat. Um, but unfortunately, going through that stage has left us with more questions about him than answers. And and so, as you say, the way to get those answers is for them is for him to face those who are perceived as his peers. And and there is there's a really good crop of light heavyweights. You mentioned them. There's the younger contenders like Jack and Vojtek and Beterbiev. There's the veterans like Kovalev and Stevenson and Alvarez, and he needs to be in that mix now. Uh, I mean, they're all st- they're starting to fight each other now. After all. Um, it's okay for him to mix in other names. He doesn't have to fight those six in a row, although it'd be great if he did. <laughs> right. But but the fact that, you know, we're still asking so many questions about him after having seen him up close several fights in a row means it's time to try and find some of the answers. And and, and also that's what's going to help his popularity, you know, to go back to our original point. Um, clearly fans are unenthused about what turning up to watch Dmitry Bivol be up an old veteran. Um, the only way now, that the way for him to get the popularity uh, and the attention is for him to to be in against those rivals, and let's see who emerges top out of out of that mix because it's a, it's a really intriguing mix right now. Yeah, and, and Stevenson and Gvozdik, of course, uh, are about to face each other in a week, and and that is a fascinating fight. Yeah, uh, I, I was surprised to learn while uh, surfing the betting odds that Gvozdik is actually favored. It makes some sense. Uh, it's not crazy, but I just wasn't expecting it because uh, Stevenson has been the champ for so long. Um, but you know, that should be a really interesting fight to see play out. And that's the kind of fight Bivol needs to be in. You know, Stevenson, Gvozdik, whoever wins, unless it's a ripoff decision or something, the winner's stock is going up. Yeah. That's what Bivol needs. A fight where you don't know who's going in, who's going to win. And thus, by virtue of winning, if he does win, Bivol's stock goes up. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to the co-featured bout. Uh, unlike Bivol, uh, Murajan Akhmedaliyev got the stoppage in his fight against Isaac Zarate uh, that opened the show. But it took him until round nine. Uh, and even then, he couldn't knock Zarate down. Given that Zarate clearly has an exceptional chin, how impressed were you or weren't you with MJ's overall performance? Yeah, I enjoyed watching him. Um, There were several times during the bout where I was sort of saying to myself how much I liked his compactness. Um, And I really admire these, these, these compact guys. And by that, I mean, you know, guys who don't reach with their punches, who always seem to be, you know, perfectly coiled or never off balance. Um always in a position to land with with nice short punches you know you could draw a line from the top of his head to his feet and that line you feel would be straight and stay straight for the entire fight it wouldn't lean forward because he's reaching or it wouldn't go too far back because he's leaning too far back he's just fights in a, in a nice box and, and i love to watch guys like that uh, his footwork was enjoyable to watch too i liked the ways he was repeatedly looking to find a different angle and a different approach and i loved his body attack you always want to see a young guy who works to the body. And that was really, I think, a key to his ultimate success. Uh, some of those body shots really hurt, you could tell. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing, look, obviously he has a ton of amateur experience and that helps with his comfort level and his confidence in the ring. And that's why he's able to fight with such poise and only his fifth pro fight. But sometimes that amateur experience can come with downsides in that Sometimes the really experienced amateurs may be good boxers, but not necessarily good fighters because there's such a premium on piling up points in the amateurs. But Ahmed Daliev, it seems to me, is a fighter. He was on his front foot all the way through. He was looking to do damage, looking to inflict harm, and that's encouraging. So I enjoyed watching him. Yeah, I, I did too, and, and I was impressed, uh, though Ahmed Daliev is undoubtedly rough around some of the edges. Sure. You know, he fights in spurts. Sometimes he faints and makes the other guy flinch, but doesn't actually do any punching behind it. But 
good legs, good variety, good punching accuracy. As you said, great commitment to the body, powerful jab. This is the kind of performance that you you grade it on two separate curves. Um, He gets graded gently because it's only his fifth pro fight, but he also has to deal with the high standard of being an Olympian and a guy who's on HBO after four fights and who's being sold as a potential next big thing. So all things considered, this was maybe like a B plus performance to me, taking into account both curves that we're grading him on. But yeah, that that, that was my assessment of it. Uh, now it'll probably be a few fights before Akhmedaliev really steps up the opposition significantly. But from this fight, did did you see anything that gives you confidence or worry about what will happen when he gets to facing top guys? Yeah, nothing really in in, in terms of. Worry. I mean, to be fair, that's the total sum of what I've seen of the guy. So, right. <laughs> you know, um, so I have a very limited sample size. Um, but like I said, you know, based on that, I like his aggression, like his body attack, like his balance. Um, maybe I would have liked to have seen him stop the guy earlier. But as you said, you know, a Zarate clearly has an exceptional chin. And also, like you said, you do, you grade a, you grade a guy like this on, on, on a curve. And if he'd had 24 pro fights rather than four going into this, I might think, I don't know. He, you know, does he necessarily have that killer instinct? Does he have everything that it takes uh, at that kind of level? But he has only had four professional fights going into this last one. So, um, I certainly see more reasons for optimism rather than pessimism. Like you said, there are rough edges that can be sanded down and improved on. But I really like not just the fact that he clearly has a natural skill. Um, I also really liked his attitude. I liked his commitment. He's got a terrific trainer, obviously, mm-hmm. um, who's going to you know get the best out of him. So, um, yeah, he kind of he kind of looks a little he kind of he's got that Rolls Royce kind of look about him, doesn't he? Uh it would be very interesting to see uh, how how far he goes, but he feels like he's probably a pretty a real blue chip prospect to me. Yeah, there's one thing that does concern me, and it's the the way that he lunges in. I think he needs to work on that a little. Um, and maybe that's something he was doing because he knows he's in with a guy who scored right. two knockouts in his whole career, so he can get away with lunging in. But if he keeps that up, he could get. Darchinian if he faces a Donaire. Uh, you know, that that's uh, the, the sort of uh, thing that, that I would like to see him improve upon as he steps up against more dangerous guys. Um, he's a little wide with, with some of his uh, punches, uh, which I mentioned when we previewed the card last week. Um, but in terms of stuff to feel good about, uh, the aggression to the body is notable and will probably serve him very well in championship-level fights. I don't know. I, I mean, I hate to cop out here, but it's way too soon today yeah. after five fights uh, to, to say if this guy is or isn't a future champ. I do want to see him again, though. Uh, I, w- I want to see the next few steps in the progression. He does have a certain captivating quality at this point. I don't know if he'll be a great fighter, um, but uh, just like Bivol at a similar stage in his career, um, he has me intrigued, which was really the point of getting this fight on HBO. Yeah, he did. He got handed a real opportunity, an opportunity that a guy with four pro fights doesn't normally get. And he he made he made the most of it. He went out there and he was entertaining and he was aggressive and he has you wanting to see more of him. And that's basically what you want to do when you're a guy at the start of your career getting an opportunity on HBO. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this post-fight edition of the HBO Boxing Podcast. Just one more fight card to go this year, and uh, we will be back next week to preview it. Uh, And you'd better believe we will bring our full podcasting toolboxes. Uh, Until then, (laughs) we thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Eric Raskin. And I'm Kira Mulvaney. 